The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and uh, I, I'm just laughing at myself because I used to make fun of my mother when she used to do her old lady finger dance, and there I am. Uh, I'm there doing the old lady finger dance, but you know, that's better than not doing the old lady finger dance. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, so thrilled to be here with you. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from a place in my home and several other places around the country today, in fact, and uh, so excited to be here with you. It's such a privilege to have this time with you. We're going to be here live for the next hour talking about autism from a 360 degree perspective. And we're going to be talking to and about and with the entire autism community. Of course, that starts with individuals on the spectrum, but it extends to everyone who loves them. Isn't that a great thing that we want to talk with anybody who's either on the spectrum or loves a person on the spectrum, because while we are all different and we all have different things and different agendas and different issues and different challenges and different strengths, we have one thing in common. And that is that we love individuals on the autism spectrum. We wanna see them succeed. We want them to get the help and the support. We want to have them have the opportunity for jobs and for housing and for love and all of the good things in life and to have things like discrimination and, um, and people deciding who they are and not treating them like individuals for all of those things to go away. So we start with trying to minimize them and get around them and do all the things that we can do. But ultimately the goal is for individuals on the spectrum to have the freedom to choose the things that they wanna do and to be able to accomplish them. That's all, that's all, that's a big deal. Uh, it is to me anyway, because I'm a mom of an individual who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. And it's funny, I, I wrote um, to a friend on Facebook this morning who, um, who does not have a child on the autism spectrum, but whose child two years ago was diagnosed with a devastating type of cancer. Um, and she was just commemorating that it's been two years that she's been fighting. And I said to her, you know, becoming a mother change you, changes you. Um, you are not the same person afterwards. You are, you are changed, your soul is changed, your, your entire way of thinking is changed. I think that your DNA rewires when you have a child, whether it's that you birthed them or somebody else birthed them, you know, you're, you're changed, you're changed forever. But I think having a child with any kind of special needs, a child that you have to advocate for, I think that reveals who you truly are. And I think that when you have adversity yourself that you have to overcome, I think that that is the highest calling that there is. 
I had a mother who was born with both feet facing backwards and I never knew her any way different. And by the time I met her, she had had 27 years to decide what that meant for her in the world. Um, but frequently she was on crutches or in a wheelchair and you know would have surgeries and would have full casts on one or both of her legs and ultimately had to have knee replacements and hip replacements and shoulder replacements. Um, you know, we called her the bionic woman, but that's who I was raised by. I never knew anything different. I never knew that I never knew not to look at the world and take things for granted. I, I never looked at the world and assumed that everyone could get up that flight of stairs. And, um, you know, it was a privilege to be raised by a woman who was looking at the world through eyes where, um, where she was you know, having to make those choices and teaching us about what that was like. That was a privilege to be raised by her. So I am thrilled to be here with all of you. It is my privilege um, to be here and sort of be the telephone operator, but that is what I am. I'm not an expert. Um, I'm certainly not an expert in autism and I'm not an expert parent either. Let's not confuse that. We have a lot of experts on the show and I've got a great one for you today that I'm always thrilled to welcome. Uh, when she's available on Monday. Of course, I'm talking about Bonnie Yates, but please, and she's an expert in educational law. She's an attorney dealing with special education and man, we have never needed those people more than we need them right now, don't we? So she's gonna be here and answering some of your questions a little bit later on in the hour. But again, I'm not an expert. I you know, have been interviewing a lot of people. So I like to say that I have an inform informed opinion <laughs> and that entitles me to run my mouth. But um, but I want you to know that I'm here with love. I wanna connect you to what you need. So if you're looking for resources, if you have a question, please write in. We, we don't get to all of them and I just have to be honest about that. The show has grown and grown and grown from its infancy and we don't get to all of the questions and that's unfortunate. But I do try to pay attention when you're persistent. Uh, please feel free to email me if you feel like I'm neglecting your question. I've had people do that a couple of times recently. They're like, look, I wrote in three times. You, you didn't notice. Here's my question. Write in to me, s.penrod at autism-live.com. I do the level best I can. Um, I, I always like to say, be patient. But you know, the truth is, I would rather you be persistent. So write in to me. And if I don't write back to you, write in to me again. Like, don't be afraid to do that. I'm never going to say, hey, you're pestering me. Um, because I have a obligation, a moral obligation to help those that I can. That was the deal that I made on my knees. I said, help me, help me to help my child. And I promise if you do, I'll help whoever I can. So that's where I'm coming from. That's just what it's all about here. Um, I do the level best I can, imperfect human being um, right here, but doing the level best that I can. And I know that you are too. Can I just tell you, you're doing a really great job. When I talk to some of you and I hear what you're going through, Look, autism is difficult, you know, no matter how old you are, how old your child is, this is a difficult thing. At a pandemic, excuse me very much. You guys are doing a great job. Doing a great job and you gotta remind yourself that you're doing a great job. So uh, that's what's going on here. Uh, don't take me for the expert. But um, we have a big show for you. Uh, I do wanna remind you uh, that you can be writing into us right now to ask your questions, I already gave you my email, but there's lots of ways that you can be participating in the live show or participate when, when the, you're watching the show recorded because many of you watch the show recorded. That's the vast majority of you, but some of you like it live, right? Because it's a, 
little anything could go wrong live, right? I'm, a, I, you know, I, I don't know if you can see up on our wall, we have uh, the theater sign there because that's my background, theater. And I love me some live theater because anything can happen, right? Uh, it's a very powerful, powerful thing. I love being live. No net. Let's go. Uh, so anyway, if you want to talk to us live, I really encourage you two of the best, fastest ways, especially right now, uh, are to be on YouTube or Facebook. And our lovely producer, Traven, I know some of you have written in and you're like, I don't understand how this works. I see you're on Zoom, but I don't know how to get on the Zoom. How do I get my question? Let me dispel the myths for you. We're not trying to keep any secrets here. You write in on Facebook and YouTube, our producer Traven collects those and within seconds, he posts them here for me so that I can see. In fact, we've had a couple, he's posted a couple of things. I'm saying hello to Jacinda. Uh, good morning to you. And I, uh, Jacinda says, it's such a good feeling knowing that you are out there and sharing the same view as me. Can I tell you right back at you uh, that there, Sometimes in the, that larger autism community that I was talking about, we have a tendency, I think, you know, I know I felt this way and many have said to me over the years, you know, you feel like you're on a planet by yourself. And the truth is we are not on a planet by ourselves. There's a whole bunch of us that are out there that are very like-minded. Um, we're not gonna agree on everything, but we're very like-minded in a lot of different things. And it is helpful to know that, there are, that we have numbers, that there are so many of us. I always uh, like to think of how many people's arms we are in that we don't even know. And when I'm in a meeting and I'm talking to professionals and, um, you know, and I hear the passion that they have for our kiddos, I get emotional. I, I cry. I'm known as the crier. And, uh, and I'll say to them, you don't understand. There's a mom somewhere in Kansas who doesn't know that you're sitting here talking about this and planning on how you're going to help her kid two years from now or six months from now or 10 years from now. But if she knew, it would mean everything to her, right? Because if we all knew how many arms we were in every day, oh, it would make it easier. It would lighten the load, right? Let me tell you, you are in some arms right now, right? Uh, and I always like to extend the hand. We like to hold hands here virtually because I believe, si se puede, we got this, we can do this together. Uh, okay, so uh, we do like to start the show on Mondays with something that we're very fond of, and you guys tell us you're fond of it too, and it is called the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey nani nani are those experts talking about? Why do they even make these things up? And you know I wanted to use a different word there, right? Uh, so... But if we can make friends with these terms and start to understand what they mean, they really can save us time and money. And that's the whole reason why we do this. First, we give you the term, then we give you the actual definition whenever possible. I poke fun at that because I just roll that way. And then we give you a working definition. And sometimes that makes the BCBAs break out into hives. And I love BCBAs, but I love making them break out in hives with their definitions, right? Uh, is it just me? Um, so anyway, today's jargon term, da -da -da -da, fine motor skills. Let's take a look at what our actual definition is and see just how convoluted they could make this. Fine motor skills, skills that require control and coordination of muscles, bones, and nerves to produce small, precise movements. Okay, so as actual definitions go, not bad. There's not a single word there that I need to pull, pull, pull out a dictionary to try to figure out what it means. 
But I still don't know what this has to do with me, what this has to do with my child who's on the autism spectrum, and I don't know what to do. Like I have no idea what to do or even why I should care about this, okay? So let's take it to our working definition and see if we can't solve some of those questions. So fine motor skills are small, small movements utilizing the small muscles of the fingers, toes, wrists, lips, and tongue. All right, we're getting warmer here. So if I can't do fine motor skills, I am going to have troubles communicating. Why? Because I'm gonna have trouble producing sound that's gonna be intelligible. We've all met the kiddo who has worked so hard to be able to speak, but nobody can understand them. And why is that? Because they, you know, there's the, the, the movements around their lips and such not happening, right? A lot of times we'll refer to that as oral motor, but it's under the heading of fine motor skills. Um, what about being able to write? Um, you know, we want for everybody to have functional communication. And I know that for a lot of us, we really long for speech and there's nothing wrong with that. Don't ever apologize for wanting to be able to speak or wanting your child to be able to speak. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, not everybody gets to but everybody gets to communicate. And there are many different ways to communicate. Some people sign, well, that is a fine motor skill. I remember when my child wasn't talking um, and people were telling me, oh, teach him to sign. And I wanted to go, he can't hold a crayon folks. So he's not going to be able to spell his name with his fingers. Come on now, come on, right? Um, and you know, being able to hold a crayon is a fine motor skill. Being able to hold the crayon and draw a straight line is a fine motor skill. Being able to take a crayon and to be able to color with it, fine motor skill, right? So all of our uh, writing skills, fine motor. How about being able to pick up a spoon and feed yourself, fine motor skill. How about being able to pick up a raisin and feed yourself, fine motor skill, right? And these things uh, progress. It is interesting to me that um, many times our kids are not behind in fine motor skills, um, uh, but, but many times they are, right? I would say, I don't know what this is, I was gonna spitball some statistics, but I don't know what they are. So this is not every one of our kiddos issue. It isn't, but for the kiddos that it is an issue, it hampers communication and it has the potential to hamper communication long-term. Now, my son uh, had a really hard time writing. We found out later on that that had more to do, because he could do all kinds of other things, fine motor, but we, we found out later on it had to do with coordination because he had an eye issue. So um, we have to be very careful that we're building the muscles to do the fine motor skills, but that we're, I've got an itch. I don't know what that's about. Um, it's like a dog, because you know, I, those of you who watch the show know that we, uh, my, our good friend Joanne passed away and we adopted her, uh, her little dog. And so he's in here with me. He's the show mascot now during the show. Uh, but he sheds and it's just like, I think I got a, I think I got a, we call him cheese. But I think I got a cheese hair somewhere. Uh, so I beg your pardon. Uh, but anyway, fine motor skills, you know, how about being able to grasp a zipper to be able to pull it up after you go to the bathroom, fine motor. These are all the fine motor skills. So you can't poo-poo these. Even if you feel like your kid is doing really well in this area, not to be poo-pooed because these are skills that start very young and then they morph up 
Um, and you'll see that later on, if our kids get into video games, suddenly fine motor skills are very important to them, right? Because being able to work the controller is also a fine motor skill. Just word of caution, don't go, well, my, my kid can totally do his Nintendo, so we don't need to work on the other stuff because my kid can totally do the Nintendo, but the handwriting, let's just say this, he should be a doctor, okay? Uh, can type like the wind now, great, workarounds, but you know, occasionally he still has to write or sign his name. So we continue to work on that. Um, I can't, Traven, I want you to look at how toes is spelled on this. This is wrong. That is just wrong. We have a terrible typo on our thing that is cracking me up. Okay. Uh, laughing with myself here. All right, moving on. We always have a question of the day. Our question today uh, is what, uh, what kind, uh, we, got, we got problems today. What, what kind of, what fine motor, I think is what it's supposed to say. What fine motor activities do you enjoy? So what kind of things are you into? Like my mother, was a knitter and a crocheter like the wind. She couldn't be anywhere that she wasn't knitting and crocheting. Um, she would knit, crochet, read a book and watch television all at the same time. No, what would make you say that maybe ADHD runs in my family? I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> but she couldn't do one thing at a time. And people who are in meetings with me know that I have a very hard time doing one thing at a time, very hard. Um, but you know, um, so she knitted and she crocheted both fine motor skills. Um, do you like to write? And are you a person who doesn't, you know, typing is another fine motor skill too, but do you prefer, you know, pen and paper? Some people are really into calligraphy right now. Some people draw or paint. These are all fine motor skills. Uh, some people like to do makeup, makeup and applying makeup, all fine motor folks. Uh, some people play the piano. Some people play a guitar. Um, think about what you do fine motor, even gardening is fine motor. So what kind of fine motor skills um, do you like to do? What's, what's your favorite? Please excuse our typos. Uh, Traven is very apologetic. Um, it's Monday. It's just one of those things. And we're, we're doing the level best we can, right? All of us. So um, anyway, what's, what's your fine motor thing? What is it? Um, and you know, why do you like it? What is it that you like about it? Uh, for years I did needlepoint and my eyes are going, so it's much harder for me to do needlepoint now. Um, but I did really fine cross stitch, whoo, some beautiful, beautiful stuff that I did. Um, but it's harder now because you have to have the eyes to be able to do it. And I remember my mother, she used to do things like that too. And then she got to a point, she was like, I can't do it. Crochet, she could still do because she could do it without looking at it while she was reading her book. But um, now I get it. I'm like, oh no, I had projects I meant to do that I don't know if I'll get to, uh, cause it's just hard on my eyes. I gotta have like a flashlight and a, a, you know, a magnifying glass and it still wears my eyes out. So what do you do? What do you enjoy? Write in and tell us. Uh, okay, moving on. We always have a topic of the week and I know you guys live for the topic. I know you're just like salivating, you want, what it is. Uh, okay, so this is a topic that I absolutely love. Uh, one size doesn't fit all. Now I'm a woman of size. 
So anytime I go into a store and they like, you know, this wrap that I'm, that I have on right now, if I were to look at the label, I would be willing to bet you that it says either one size fits all or one size fits most. I hate that one even more, right? Um, but there is no one size fits all and there's not even a one size fits most. And I've learned this in life, but I, I think I learned it best from autism. You know, I love uh, Dr. Stephen Shore. We gotta have him back on the show, in fact. Dr. Stephen Shore, wonderful, wonderful individual. He is the person credited with saying, when you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Um, because, you know, they're members of mankind, womankind, you know, humankind. Um, you can't lump them all together in one category. No, nor can you lump together every teacher, every therapist, every BCBA, every parent, right? And, and I think it behooves all of us to learn the lessons well that we learn from the autism community. And I think this is lesson number one, one size doesn't fit all. And I know that, you know, we'll talk a lot on the show and I'll throw ideas out to you, but you know, we hope that you take what works for you that fits for you and that you leave the rest, right? Because everything isn't gonna be right for everyone. And if you're not seeing something that fits you here, please write in and tell us, hey, I need more information about X, Y, and Z. Or I feel like this, does anybody else feel like this? Am I alone and up a tree here? Or is, you know, is it just me? Because I guarantee you, it's not just you. Um, but you are entitled to your full experience that is your experience. So we're, we're gonna talk a little bit about that this week. Uh, and um, I want to take a look at what you guys are. Hey, Nasser. And I'm saying hi to Christina. Let me go back up here. Let's, uh, and we're going to have Bonnie Yates in just a few minutes, but I want to take a couple of minutes here to just take a look at some of the things that you guys have written in. Uh, oh, Bonnie is waiting. Uh, oh, you know what, Sean? Sean said, thank you for saying a child with autism instead of an autistic child. Thank you so very much. Um, the, how we language uh, uh, autism is just like so important. And um, I'm also learning to not say that I'm an autism mom. I'm, I'm trying really hard to eradicate that from my language. Um, I'm finishing a book and, and I like had to go back through and change every time that I wrote that. And now I say, I am the mom of an individual who is, it's really long and I wanna shorten it and say, oh, I'm an autism mom, but I'm not. If uh, an autism mom is somebody who is on the autism spectrum and also a mom, and I know a lot of those people, um, it's just something that was easier for me to identify myself. So I'm trying really hard to be more specific with my words. And over the years, the words that we used um, to describe my son's diagnosis and our relationship to it has changed profoundly. And um, there were times when things that we said started to offend us. We were like, hey, that doesn't work for us. Um, and then there were times that other friends came to me and said, oh, I'm offended by the way you're saying that. I don't like that. Uh, and I would always be like, well, I think it's more important how my son feels about it. And, and that's kind of where I've landed is that it's got to sit right with me and it's got to sit right with my son and hopefully offends as few people as possible. I can't make everybody happy. Um, but, you know, that is... Um, that is my son wouldn't have me like 
refer to it any other way. So thank you for noticing that. Um, and thank you, Traven, for putting up my number. Uh, oh, I'm saying hi to Christina and I love, man, you're killing it. You're doing such a good job uh, and love what you're doing and saying hi to Sarah. Uh, Sarah would love to hear my ideas on IEP goals with remote learning. Uh, only option for five-year-old kindergarten and happy to share those, but it, you're going you're gonna to want to hear from Bonnie as well and we're going to bring her in. Um, okay. And, um, uh, yeah, you're concerned about, uh, social development and poor fine motor skills, speech, OT. Well, they need to be giving you that stuff. And I'll tell you what, if you're looking for fine motor stuff to do, Pinterest is your best friend. And I mean, all of Pinterest go in there, uh, you know, get a membership and, and it's free and, and look up fine motor. But I will tell you that Autism Live has a pin, um, page. I don't even know what you call it, but we have lots of categories, pin boards, and uh, there's a whole one just on fine motor and it's fun. It's fun stuff. If you're working on fine motor and it's not fun, go to Pinterest because they make it super fun. Woo. Good times. Um, thrill, thrill, thrill. And thank you for mentioning, you guys are talking about what is an RBT and what is the Institute for Behavioral Training? An RBT is a registered behavior technician. I wanna tell you there's also something called a BCAT, which is a board certified autism technician. And you can get certified for both of them at the same time by going to the Institute for Behavioral Training and starting your studies there. There is more to it to get your certificate, but you can do a 40 hour program to begin that um, and that's at ibehavioraltraining.com. And it's really cool. I recommend it for everyone. If you want to know, you know, what's going on, that's the place to go and get that. And, and we've got more and more parents that are doing that. And whoo, it's just going to make it, you will understand so much more what we say here, but you'll understand so much more importantly, you'll understand so much more of what your therapists are doing. And you'll understand more of what you need to be doing to help your kiddo. And by the way, we've had lots of adults on the spectrum do that kind of thing and ultimately become therapists. And they have a greater understanding of what ADA is and understanding of themselves. It's really good. And it's very relatively inexpensive. And if you need a scholarship, um, there are organizations that give scholarships um, for the training. So uh, I love that. Uh, hi, Christine. I love that somebody is doing gardening uh, with their kiddos and, and that that's a fine motor skill. Clay ceramics, ah, oh, love it, love it. Thrilling, uh, I wanna learn how to throw on a pottery wheel. It's like on my bucket list. Okay, I'm wasting time, Bonnie's here. Let's bring her in. Ms. Bonnie Yates is a special education attorney working with the Toner Law Offices. She is amazeballs. And we love her and she's here uh, pretty much on a weekly basis with us on Mondays. I can hear her. I do not yet hold see on. her. Hold on, hold uh, on. Okay. Well, I'm just going to keep talking while you're working on that. I'm saying nice things about you behind your back. Uh, and we want to encourage you guys, if you are in the state of California, Tolner Law Office is a great place to get a consultation working with Bonnie or one of her uh, there she is looking lovely. Morning. <laughs> Good morning. And now I have a tickle in my throat, but I was saying nice things about you. I know you were. I heard them because even though I didn't have my video on, I had my audio on. There we go. Really, I really wanted to give you guys a background tour. 
my daughter just bought a house and she's got like people putting carpet in and the whole, there's boxes everywhere. Great place to work. Um, wow. Yeah. Anyway. But you're getting um, it done anyway, which is what you do. Well, she's and getting well, you're here. No, 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 no. You want to know something? I cannot find what I prepared over the weekend that I really was like all hot and bothered and wanted to share with everybody. But um, but I know as soon as like the show's over, I'll remember what it was. But I have other stuff and we have questions. Is it stuff that you sent me? Because you sent me a lot of stuff. Well, I didn't send you everything. Um okay. But I did want to mention what's going on with reading. I think okay. that's important. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Shannon has, and she'll send to everyone, information that's really important in, in, in California, but I feel like sometimes so California goes, so goes the whole 50 states. So um, this is a move that in, is, is attempting to roll back um, more stringent requirements as far as what kind of methods need to be used to teach reading to students. And within there, there's a very profound article, which I can resend, but I think you have it called Reading is Rocket Science. And this article is from 1999, but it talks about how, how people learn how to read, what kind of problems uh, can occur, how we really, really know well now that multi-sensory methods, um, research-based, uh, work better than anything else. And the article talks about, um, this isn't really a economic thing or a color thing. Uh, their you know, position is all children can learn how to read, even if they're from a, you know, underperforming school or whatever the issue is, but you have to have the right approach. And it also talks about how teachers don't get the kind of instruction uh, in uh, school or in teacher training that they need to teach reading because reading is complex. Why am I talking about all this now? Because at one o'clock today, PST, they're going to vote on this issue. And what I gave Shannon was something that allows you to, to weigh in on this issue if you want California to keep their current uh, standards, which are actually really good and have only been in play for like a few years. And we really haven't had time to see the benefit of all of it. But I'm telling you, the reason they want to take this away is because they're going to go back to a system where it's like eclectic and teachers get to choose and they're not going to have a lot of initial training. They're not going to have ongoing training and it's not going to produce the results. And I feel like this is a totally relevant issue for the autism community because like 30% of our kiddos have reading comprehension and other issues that need to be addressed by reading instruction. So that's reading is rocket science. Um, I'm going to be talking to you in the next few weeks a lot about fall and what to do for fall and we can certainly revisit that today. I had an issue come up last week though that I wanted to share with, with, the, re with the readers, with the listeners because I think it might be relevant to stuff you encounter. So we typically see this in an initial evaluation for a child with autism, which is um, intended to qualify him for eligibility for special education. And oftentimes, if it's a little kid, they'll do a multidisciplinary team report. 
but sometimes they'll do separate uh, academic and cognitive by the psychologist, and then they'll do speech by the speech therapist. What you don't tend to see is occupational therapy, vision therapy, assistive technology, central auditory processing, but the district is required to assess in all areas of suspected disability. And I bet if Shannon thinks back on this, she's gonna realize there's a pattern, which is they always skip the OT if they can get away with it. So we have a client, his, his son is older, he's like 12 or 13, he's transitioning to LA Unified. So he's had a CREDI 504 plan in an online charter school for several years. So they're reassessing him for eligibility and they didn't do OT. So um, dad wrote to the district and asked for an IEE in the area of OT because they waited like six months and they haven't assessed him. And LAUSD wrote back and said, hey, listen, we didn't assess in the area of OT, but we'll do it now. So Shannon has, and I think you have, if not, I'll resend it to you. Shannon has two letters from OSEP, which is the Office of Special Education Programs, commenting on this issue. One is letter to Carol, and one is letter to Bouse. And there are things that have been um, you know, around for a while. This isn't anything super new, but they're really eloquent because they say, if the district waits an unreasonable time to assess, you can ask for an IEE. And the remedy for a delay in assessing in an area of suspected disabilities is not to offer to assess again. And in fact, I think it's letter to Bouse that says the remedy, the, the best way you can protect against getting IEE requests is listen carefully when you talk to parents and you develop that initial assessment plan. So, but, but remind them what IEE stands for. Oh, I'm sorry, independent educational evaluation, a private evaluation paid for at district expense. Yes, that's the important part is that your kid will be evaluated by someone outside the school and the school will pay for it, folks. And, and you can likely pick that person as long as they meet the criteria. So, and that is a thing you devoutly to be wished. That's a good thing. When you have somebody yeah. who isn't at the school evaluating your kiddo on the, you know, I think if you, if, and especially if you're picking the person, you're going to get a better evaluation that isn't tied to what it's going to cost them. Is Correct. The thing. Correct. Yeah. And I tell parents, this is so important and it's potentially free. It's going to make me so much more um, appropriately targeted in designing a strategy for your case. I have to know what's wrong to design a strategy. I can't necessarily tell what's wrong based on the school district assessments. So these two um, policy letters basically say you got to assess in all areas of suspected disability within a reasonable time. If you don't and the parent asks for IEEs, you've only got two choices. You either have to file for due process and prove that your evaluation is appropriate or you have to fund the IEE. And it goes on to say there's no third option. So um, those are interesting for for you to read. They're not long, but I think they're very thoughtful in terms of how districts are supposed to be conceptualizing the um, initial assessment task. And, you know, uh, so this, this, uh, this letter um, that we wrote for the client um, now has occasioned a letter back to LAUSD, but also we have asked CDE, California Department of Education, to get involved because we think that when they tell the district you're gonna to have to fund the IEE, they're probably gonna do it. So that is something that you will encounter from time to time. 
Um, there's lots of IEE tricks. The districts don't want to file for due process because they don't want to create a whole new case project for themselves that they have to take on. Sometimes they will say things like, you know, sure, you can have an outside evaluation at district expense, and then they'll give you the name of a psychologist in, the, in, in let's say, the same special education local planning area that works for a school district and say, this person can do it. That's illegal. And it's also illegal for them to say you have to go with, you know, a person on the list. And, you know, they're also not supposed to say if you ask for an IEE, they're not supposed to threaten you and tell you, you know, like, you know, no, don't ask for that. They're supposed to either file for due process and defend their evaluation as appropriate, or they're supposed to pay for your IEE. So watch out for that. Okay, good to know. Um, now, I had sent you a couple of questions, but I'm, I'm thinking you probably didn't get them. Did no, you get I did them? get them. I did get okay. them. Can I read you the first one here and let's see if we can. That's what I was hoping you were going to do. Wonderful, because I know that this mom is watching right now. Uh, they said, I guess my question is for Bonnie Yates. Our school hasn't figured out what they are doing in the fall, but my therapists are asking to start schedule for the fall now. I don't want to lose uh, valuable time, and yet I don't know what to do about school. Can I get in trouble with school if I don't attend some online classes because we're at therapy? Also, if I do cyber school, can I leave if everything opens? Currently, he is in front of a computer from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Monday through Thursday with only 30 to 60 minute break. That includes ABA, speech, OT, math, language, and music. He also has two nights in group session from 4 to 5.30, more ABA. Friday is only one hour of ABA. How much time is he really supposed to be in front of a screen? And can I ask the school to, to limit some of the other subjects? There's a lot to unpack. Yeah, there's group. a lot to unpack. And we, and we didn't give the disclaimer. We Just very briefly, I want to give the disclaimer. Would you mind doing that? No, I wouldn't mind giving the disclaimer. And I also wouldn't mind for the person that sent in this very detailed question to talk to her more specifically. So, you know, if you want to do that, we could set that up. Um, the disclaimer is that we try to answer questions of general interest on the air, and it's not a substitute for specific legal advice. Um, and you really do want and need some specific legal advice. You have a lot of questions. So let's see if I can remember. Okay, so the first question I have is it sounds as if your ABA therapy is virtual. Is that, is that your impression, Shannon? Or is the yes. ABA, okay. So the ABA therapy is virtual, but yet I'm understanding that you're concerned about, I thought the concern is that she's gonna have to give up the ABA therapy to be online and do school. Is that correct? Yeah, I think a lot of people are in this boat right now, uh, Bonnie, where, ABA is is back and, and ABA providers are rightly trying to get kids back in and scheduled and people still don't know what the fall schedule is for school. So they're nervous about, they're like, oh, am I gonna get in trouble? You know, should I take ABA now and then mm -hmm. do it later? Like everybody is like standing on one foot. I see, okay. Well, just my opinion, but I don't know that what you're gonna get from school in the fall is going to be worth sacrificing your ABA for. It would obviously depend on, you know, past performance by the district would be the best indicator of what you might get in the future. They say they're going to try to do better. Um, they never did good enough as far as I was concerned when we weren't virtual. Um, so I would set 
myself up to do the ABA and you can proceed one of two ways with modifying your schedule. Um, first of all, you said, can I opt out of cyber school if I want to when, when it's time to go back to school? Of course you can. School's compulsory if it's open. Nobody can force you to do cyber school. In the meantime, you can either have an IEP meeting with the district, and we heard that I think it was uh, San Francisco Unified, Shannon, said they're gonna do an IEP for every single one of their 2,700 kids in special education in the first month of September. So you can ask for an IEP, you can tell them you need a modified schedule, you can tell them it's too much screen time, you can talk about his response to distance learning so far and why it hasn't been that um, educational and you've got a better uh, way that you wanna do things. And um, then you can set up, if you're in California anyway, you can set up a private homeschool in your home and do, um, you know, do whatever home program you want to under your auspices as a private school. Now, the problem is if you reject the district learning, I have uh, distance learning, I haven't seen them coming after people for truancy or anything like that. I haven't seen them trying to force people into it. But if you're going to challenge their their program in the future and ask for compensatory education, you want to have tried it so you can describe why it was so, 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 so not working for your kid. That's the, the only thing I would say is we're getting into some due processes now where the district is like, well, you didn't even, you know, take advantage of like 50% of what we offered. So, you know, how do you know that it's not good? But anyway, if you're in California, I'd be happy to talk this through because I think that, um, there's some facts in there that I don't have, like what the age of your child is and what you got during distance learning and how bad was it. But the general approach is, you know, I think lots of people are going to be rejecting distance learning because it doesn't work for their kids. Yeah. And I, uh, I'm not 100% positive, but I believe that, that this parent is closer to where you are now than California. Uh-huh. Unfortunately. Okay. Um, so, well, I mean, so my experience is based on what goes on in California, but generally speaking, I think it sounds like you do need to talk to a special education attorney. I would direct you to the COPA website. If you do this right, I don't think you have to worry about having truancy problems. You might, you know, run into a problem in terms of them saying you didn't, you know, do our program. I mean, and I don't know what the private school rules are in your state. I just can tell you that in California, you could totally leave public school and set up a private school in your home. And if your position is the district is not providing FAPE, that's why I'm having to do this. You give them 10 business days written notice. That's federal. That's true in every state. And you tell them that to the extent that you have to spend money on private services, you're doing so because they didn't offer FAPE. And then you're set if you decide to bring a case later to get reimbursed for any private services that you might purchase. Yeah, and then, and then to, the question about how long should our kiddos be online? And this is a tough thing, yeah. right? Because if it weren't for COVID, all of our experts say uh, much less than what our kids are if they're getting all of this stuff online. Mm -hmm. this, this is like time out of time. And I almost mm -hmm. feel like some of the rule books are being thrown away because, you know, you have to do what you have to do. I, and I don't know, you know, Bonnie. Um, uh, yeah, like I don't know what your it. options um, writer into the program would be in terms of creating some real-time activities in your neighborhood with maybe 
you know, another family or something. I mean, I'm really a hypocrite because I'm online a lot, but I'm really anti-screen time for kids. And I think it's really bad when two-year-olds have their own cell phones. And I just myself, I don't find the medium compelling, but we're also in a public health emergency. And so in order to get out of that, I think, unfortunately, certain things are getting sacrificed, you know, and and there are some that aren't that important. Like, you know, are people going to die if they don't eat out in a restaurant again? Education is really important, but it's not more important than dying. So you you just got to do your best. I don't know that it's been studied how much screen time is good or bad for kiddos, but you can Google it and I'm sure you'll get some interesting um, responses. And let's say this, I don't think all screen time is created equally. And as mm -hmm. a parent of someone who was diagnosed with autism, I know that if I give him six hours and let him play a video game, and then I try to do something with him in the seventh hour, his brain is in that game. And it's very hard to extract him from that game and get him back into reality. If he spends an hour playing that video game and I ask him to switch and go do something else, at this point in the game, his brain is agile enough that he can do that without missing a beat. And that somewhere in between that one and six hours is when he reaches the critical mass. Everybody's, everybody is different. And well, if and I, I would just, I would be really, really like untrue to myself if I didn't just say something very, very opinionated here. Go for it. Garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. It is not neutral for teenage kids to spend six, seven hours a day or 20 hours a week on screens, playing games and doing stuff that doesn't teach them skills. You're, but you're, if they're spending that time doing something that, that is activating their brain and get, getting them thinking, I don't think it's as bad screen time. It isn't as bad. It isn't as bad. And I don't know how good or bad it is, but I do have to tell you, I don't see any reason why people can't use this time to the extent that they have any free time to do things that are more tactile and hands-on, you know, um, and, 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 you know, read and do nature study in your backyard and make things, learn how to cook things, learn how to sew, learn, learn skills that are really quite useful, even though they're not computer-based. Yeah. So we have found that we have to separate the day into chunks and do that kind of thing. And, 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 and it's been good, you know, I, I keep thinking of what would I have done when he was three, mm -hmm. but, but I, I mentioned Pinterest before, if you're like, I really, I'm not a former teacher. I don't know what to do. Pinterest has activities for you to do that are educational, tactile, and will help your kid to connect with you in the world. So check out Pinterest and do check out, we have um, Pinterest boards on Autism Live. Mm -hmm. Stuff that I personally have curated for parents that I think is good stuff to do, but 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 I by no means covered all of Pinterest, so tour around in it. But if you want the fast track, check out our page. Uh, okay, so Bonnie, I sent you a second question, and it was so long, I don't even know that if you want to get into it and uh, or not. Did did you have a second to look at the second question I sent? I did, you? I did. Okay, is that person outside of California? I don't know for that one. Okay. <clears throat> As I remember this question, this parent has been empowered by learning about her rights as a parent with a child with special needs. And, and she's she, also a teacher. Yeah. And she has really benefited from learning that she can stand up for herself. 
And she has also really benefited from learning that even within the like, you know, rough road of negotiating special education, there are committed people within educational institutions that really aren't political and care about what's getting what's right. But the way I read her question as it went on, and maybe we should read it on the air and pick it up next week. But what I'm hearing is she needs more information about her um, child's profile. And I'm not hearing that she has a good comprehensive assessment. So like it would be nice to walk through her facts and see if she's in a position to get an outside evaluation. To do that, we need to know what um, was the last date that the child was evaluated by the district and what areas they evaluated in. Like okay. I'm, hearing, I'm hearing that she's doing a lot of advocacy for herself and I'm happy to suggest like more sources of information so she can keep continuing to learn. Um, but I'm also feeling like even like you can do great advocacy, but if you don't really know what your kid needs and you don't have a way to prove to the district that you have evidence of same that you could use against them in a due process hearing, you're gonna kind of flutter around at the IEP level and you'll know things like, oh, I get to tape record or audio record, or oh, this is how you you know consent to an IEP or oh, in California, I don't have to consent to the things that I don't like. I can consent to you know only some of them. But what is your overriding objective and your strategic plan for your child's education especially now during covid okay so, let me let me read some sections uh, oh. of the letter so that um people know kind of what we're talking about i'm not going to read the whole thing because there's a lot here but um she says i'm trying to build a positive relationship with the school district uh but that you know her child has encountered people that are not uh, as she refers to them as some of the people which are amazing earth angels and that, but that she, you know, runs into special ed teachers and principals that are not that. Uh, and that she's learned a lot from watching Autism Live and, and watching Bonnie and that she drafts out a letter before bringing it to the IEP and brings a tape recorder and that that has really empowered her and she wants to share that with parents. Uh, she wants to give us a snapshot of what's going on because like all of us, the story gets long, right? She says, I want the new school to honor his 30 minutes in general education classroom and not general education PE. The old school even wrote a description of his time in general ed class, but the new school refused to honor the previous IEP. The principal and the special education teacher came up with the excuse that, in their words, we did not check some type of core curriculum box in the IEP. Yeah, so they hogwash. So they honored it by placing him in, in gen ed PE instead of some, so they had yeah. to honor putting him in gen ed and they chose PE, which is yeah. just- Gen ed cop out. Right. Then I asked the principal to check the box now and she refused and stated that his FAPE remains the same. The special education teacher and principal violated the following items. One, they did not give us safe ground. Two, they already made up their minds that they wanted to do uh, with my son. They disregarded other members' inputs in the meeting. Three, even the Harbor Regional Representative was upset and told me for the next IEP meeting, we needed to bring an advocate. Now with the pandemic situation, I want to request for him to have access to Gen Ed Google Classroom and, is, and, and have extended time to turn in his work because I'm, work, I'm working mom and I teach too. Um, so, so I missed, I forgot about the, uh, I forgot about the Janet angle. You've got basically mm -hmm. a case for mainstreaming and, and I think, 
you know, you might need an expert to make the case or it might be a lot of evidence in the documents that you already have about why mainstreaming is appropriate for him. We've covered on the show before the fact that mainstreaming with supports is the default. And it sounds like there are reasons why they aren't putting him in general ed are really weak and flaky. So if, if she, she is in California, in fact, she's in Southern California because she's, she's with the Harbor Regional Center. So we can talk about um, either now or next week, depending on uh, how much time is left this afternoon, we can talk about the kind, kind of things that we do when students aren't being mainstreamed and they're high functioning. Uh, and often, you know, you have a high functioning kid with autism and they just don't want to be in the position of having to pay for a good uh, para or behavior therapist in the classroom. So they're just trying to keep them in, in special ed. And anytime you see that and you see that they're like, oh, well, we'll, we'll you know, mainstream during lunch or we'll meet mainstream at the assembly, you can see I, that's pretty classic textbook. Like it, it smells bad and you know, further investigation is needed. So again, it would be nice to know, you know, how long ago he was assessed um, and in what areas and exactly what the offer has been in the IEP. And it sounds like they don't have a good justification at all, but do you have recordings of those meetings so you can show that they illegally refuse to consider mainstreaming in a meaningful way? If so, you know, we do these mainstreaming cases all the time. I mean, we don't see as many of them as we once would have because mainstreaming is the presumptive placement. So, yeah. you know, you'd Except have to tell me, you'd have to, you'd have to apply the Rachel Holland test. And if your child can learn in the classroom and he's, you know, still young and getting a lot of social benefit and he's not disruptive, they got a mainstream. Yeah. And, and I, and I have to say, um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of mainstreaming and it used to be in the, I, I used to naively say everyone, and I'm a former teacher and I say everyone, everyone should be mainstreamed. I have come to understand that mainstreaming isn't right for everyone, that kiddos who can't self-regulate, it can be too much for them. Kiddos who are harmful to themselves and other people, it creates an environment that is not good, right? Um, so I no longer believe that everyone should be ma mainstreamed, but I still think that a large, a overwhelming majority of our kids can and should be mainstream. And what I and have come across- It doesn't have to be all or nothing, Shannon. You could be mainstream 50% of the time. And the reason we keep kids that are not well suited in some ways in mainstream classes is because special ed classes are so bad. Well, yes. And I, you know, I have to say that in, in my um, world, you know, I had, I had Bonnie helping me early on. And so we, when we started school, we were mainstreamed and that was great. But um, later on, when it was time for my son to go to junior high, my child who had never spent a minute in a special day classroom, we went for the transition meeting to go to junior high and they informed me that they wanted him to go to a different school than his home school, to be in an enclosed classroom instead of changing classes and to be in a special ed classroom with 14 boys, no girls and the same teacher for every subject. My really like smart kid who was looking forward to taking all of these electives. And we fought tooth and nail right up until the week before school started. They were not gonna do it. And, and you know what I discovered is, is because they were afraid that they didn't know how. 
that was the problem that I had to overcome was they had tried uh, inclusion many years before and they had a negative experience and they just, they decided it couldn't be done. Yeah, well, the law doesn't agree that you just get to fold up your tent if it's hard or if you have to bring in outside consultants to teach you how to do it. And we continued to fight and we continued to fight with Bonnie's help. And my kid went to the school that he was supposed to go, go to. He changed classes. He did so wonderfully. And, and it was just a two-year junior high school. And at the end, they said, thank you. We now know that this is possible. So not only, not only did it work out for my kid, but it made room for other kids. And don't be, I was ready to fold. I was ready to fold, but Bonnie said not to. And Dr. Doreen Grampichet told me she would kick me with one of her pointed shoes if I caved in. And she said, we, because they were telling me all kinds of crap. Like he, he, he can't handle this. We've never had a kid be able to handle this. The other kids will eat him alive. You know, and, and Dr. Grampichet said to me, now stop that. We prepared him for this. He's ready. And he was. Um, so I'm just here to tell you, push, push, push. And, you know, um, because you are in California, reach out to Bonnie, get, a, get uh, a consultation with her so that they don't roll over you on this because that's crappy. Yeah, I mean, the law's on your side. The law says in the absence of other information to the contrary, the district has to, meet, has to offer general ed. Yeah. So, now, you know, we did, your district needs to get with the program. Thank you so much. Um, okay, so we are, we've only got two minutes left and we did have somebody write in earlier that they wanted to know my opinion about IEPs and this COVID and distance learning and distance learning for a five-year-old. We're going to be covering a lot more topics having to do this, uh, do with this over the next few weeks. It's really um, you know, about the education component about it, but you've heard Bonnie speak a little bit about what your rights are. And I think that that's important to do. We've got parents though, Bonnie, that they're, they're really concerned about the social aspect of school, um, when it's distance learning. Any, any words for them about that before we have to go? You got about a minute and a half. Well, first of all, uh, our, um, law firm is now advising every one of our clients that they should give a 10 business day notice to the district and and you know leave open for themselves the option that they may have to pay for private services and they can sue the district for reimbursement on a comp ed theory as far as the social aspects of this i feel like what's happening is that slowly kind of not the educational sector so much but like the private sector people are figuring out ways for their kids to have some degree of social engagement. And it's, you know, mostly I think for the next six months going to look like, is it possible for you to approach a couple other families and set up some, you know, safe, socially distant um, backyard social opportunities, if that's a possibility for you. And if not, maybe somebody else, does have a backyard or maybe you can meet in a park or something but I honestly think for the next six months in a lot of ways we're going to be on our own and yeah. I don't think the district is going to be holding social skills classes virtually and I don't think that that's really what you're looking for um, so I haven't heard of anybody doing anything specific about social skills but you know my thought also is there are people that do social skills 
training that's and so maybe you know if you can reach out to the some of those people they may be doing stuff privately and the reason you give the 10 business days notice is so that you can sue the district for reimbursement if you're having to augment because they're not offering stuff that's really essential and your child is losing ground two things before we go because and i'm supposed to be in a meeting right now uh, three things, because I want to thank Bonnie. Bonnie, if you give the ten-day notice and you're and you ten still decide, business days, so business. you give the ten. So one, two, three, ten, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, but no Saturday, Sunday, or holiday. So you give the ten business days notice, but you still on the night before decide to go to school. They still have to take you, right? Yeah, the ten the ten business days notice doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't limit you in any way. It just means that if you do that and you know you end up staying with it. You know, like you can't do three months of speech therapy and then go, great, and now I'm going to tell the district I want them to pay for this. You have to give them the opportunity first to consider your request. Okay, but if I give where, 10 where, business days yeah. and, and, and then we go back to school and we get three weeks in and we see it's not robust enough, do I have to give another 10 days business notice? Or no. is that first? No, okay. you just have to be in the first notice. You have to tell them you're going to purchase educational services because the district isn't offering FAPE. The more specific you can be, be specific. But if you don't know if it's going to be school and speech and social skills, put them all in. Okay. You know, put in your wish list. And then, you know, and then you can always back off from some of that later. Okay. And I do want to tell everybody um, that I think starting at age four, the peers, P-E-E-R-S program at UCLA is doing distance peers program with Great. ages four and up. And it's award-winning, fabulous, social. The parents do it on the same on a different track than the kids, but at the same time. So you're learning what they're learning. It's the best. Uh, reach out to them and get your child signed up to it. That's social um, skills. Truly awesome. P-E-E-R-S. What's that? Great suggestion. There we go. Uh, okay. Um, we are done for today, but Bonnie, thank you so much for mm -hmm. all your help and support mm -hmm. today. We want to remind everybody the Tolner Law Offices, reach out to them and or to Bonnie, especially if you're in the California area, reach out and get a, a, a private consultation with Bonnie. And if you are not in the California area and are looking for an attorney, Bonnie, who do they go to? COPAA.net. They have an attorney directory. Most of those people have been doing special education for quite a while and they know what they're doing. And nobody gets a kickback for any of that. We're just recommending good services. Yeah. No, so, I pay my COPA membership like everybody else. They're a great organization. Well, and I also want to say that Tolner Law Offices doesn't pay us anything. We're just thrilled to have Bonnie here. Oh, uh, thank you. And please, Bonnie. please disseminate the reading information and people please reach out. There we go. Okay, and send your questions. Yeah. Well, but today they, they need the comments by one o'clock. Oh, yes. okay. For yeah. that. Okay. Send that stuff out if you can. All right. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you so much for being here. You guys, tomorrow we're back with uh, a very special episode of Talking with Temple, some of the best interviews that we've done with Temple Grandin over the last few years. You're going to love it. And then on Wednesday, we have Evelyn Kung with us. On Thursday, for those of you who are interested in um, either dance movement with your kiddos or learning more about what works with distance learning, and inclusion, you're not going to want to miss. Thursday, we have Robin Renee Martinez is going to be here with us from Fullerton Cares. They've been doing an online dance program all summer long. 
that is open to all of you. It's free. Stop. I know it's so good. And she's got some tips and tricks about what they've learned about distance learning to make it so that everyone wants to participate. And by the way, you can have your neurotypical siblings participating as well. That's Thursday. So y'all don't want to miss that. We got to go. I'm late for a meeting. I love you all. Thank you for being here. Until tomorrow, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.